Hey there, I'm Andy Baker, and this is the Baker's Dozen podcast. And this week I'm talking about Loki Season 2, Episode 5, Science Fiction. Character arcs, show bibles, catalysts, absent antagonists, the ripple effect of seemingly small decisions, and a significant pet peeve about meta-awareness of writers. There's a lot to learn from in this episode, and when we watch better, we write better. One. So this is the character payoff episode. You know, you spend the early part of a season setting up character arcs, You move the characters along those arcs in the messy middle and then pay things off at the end. The final episode of this season will have action and wrap up and setting up season three, a lot of business to take care of in what are short episodes. So there's not a ton of room for longer character centric scenes. So ultimately that's what this penultimate episode was for all of those character moments. And that's by design. So when the season is over, we're meant to look back at moments and one moment in particular and remember them as being the key lines or interactions uh, of the entire season. So think WandaVision, right? What is grief if not love persevering? When you hear that line, maybe like me, you have a shiver go up your spine like that was the moment of that entire season that is meant to stay with you. And it is central to what the whole story was about. And there's a moment like that in this episode, but we'll get there. And one other thing before I move on, I'm always interested to acknowledge the fact that science fiction creates an extreme backdrop upon which to tell very human stories. And in this show, we've got time travel, we've got Norse gods, but in the end, really all of it is about connection and belonging and family and love, all very human emotions and realities. The show Bible. Now, the Loki creators have said that this is a four-season show, so 24 episodes. And undoubtedly, they've got the whole show outlined in the broad brushstrokes. Kind of have to pitch that to the executives and have them sign off on the overall vision. You don't want to find out halfway through that they're not on board with where you want to go. So you've got the major beats, you know where things start, where they end, how things are going to work along the way, who your characters are. Beyond Loki, Loki obviously has some baggage coming into this, but you're building out these original characters around him. And because the show has a branching multiverse element to it, you need to build out those new original characters, who they are in the TVA and who they were on their various branches. So when you move beyond the show Bible and you start outlining the season and start getting granular with the storylines. You map out not only who the characters are, but the pace at which the story will unfold, where they start their journey, the key moments along the way, and the final moments that we will see them on screen, whether they are going to end their journey in this season or if they're going to continue on to seasons three and four. Of course, they can leave that open given the fact that time is being played with, but we'll talk more about that in just a bit. When the season two was mapped out, this episode undoubtedly had a whiteboard full of huge character moments. 
when you're laying out what needs to happen in each of these six episodes, that column for this episode had to be really long because you're exploring who the characters were on their branches before they became variants that were pulled out of the timeline. We have the articulation of the protagonist's need and the reveal of Loki's massive ability to rewrite time. Just a long-winded way of pointing out and saying that Loki as a show was carefully constructed, and this was one of the most important episodes the show will have, not just this season, but in its entire run. And so what have we learned about these characters in this episode? Let's take a look. Three. Mobius. We got his speech a couple of episodes ago when he worried about seeing his life and it being great and not being able to live with that, not wanting to have that temptation. And we're meant to ask that question, what would Mobius think if he saw this version of himself? The reality is a bit of a mixed bag. He's a dad and he would want to probably go back to that. At the same time, though, he's a single dad. We don't know what happened with his wife. His kids are out of control on him, so he's struggling with being a single dad. It's a very real kind of life that he would witness. And so the arc that he's going to face, he will have to choose. Does he choose to be with his kids? Keeping in mind, unless they return some memories to him, he doesn't know these children. Or does he stay in the TVA? And it's going to be heart-wrenching for him and for us. I mean, I can picture that moment when the memories are returned to him and he remembers being a father and all of the moments that he had holding babes in arms and all of the rest of it, all those beautiful moments of life. And he's going to be in a moment of knowing that and then looking at what the TVA needs. And that's going to be wrenching for him and for us. And if I had to guess... He would go back to his family. We like him, and to not do that is to undercut how likable he is. But it also sets up an interesting dilemma for season three in that they have to pull him back out. Like he chose to be in with his family, but they're going to face some sort of problem that they need him for, and they have to pull him out. And how hard that will be to make that decision, and how angry he might be that it happened. And he would then be a reluctant participant in whatever Loki needs him to do and have to be convinced that it was all worth it. Anyway, it's an interesting pitch, certainly one that I would make. Four. B-15. I don't know about you, but I, I see B-15 as seeming a little bit too nice um, somehow. I mean, her TVA persona wants to save the branches of the timeline and she wants to try and redeem General Docs before Docs gets squished. So it's pretty much impossible that when we get to see her in her timeline, that she could be bad. Part of that is the actress. She's wonderful. And you can sort of see on her face, she's a caring person. And you can't move too far away from that without it being really jarring and having a purpose behind doing so. Of course, what I found interesting here is that we focused on Mobius's life when he's, we saw him in his timeline at home. We got some of his work life too, but it was more about him having the kids and needing to sell the jet ski to pay for things. But with B-15, we see her at her job. That's it. She's a caring doctor. We don't get any sense of family. And ultimately, that would make it easier for her to, I think, return to the TVA. They haven't given us a compelling reason for her to return to this other life. 
especially since we don't have a sense for how lives work at the TPA, where they live, what they do when they're not actively doing their job for the TVA. She's just in two different places, TVA and on this branch, where in both she helps others. And ultimately, it's an interesting choice that they just focused on her and her work life. And maybe it opens up the door to, in future seasons, seeing other elements of her life building out her character a bit more because you don't have enough room to build every character out in these six episodes. It makes it seem like it's very easy for her to return to the TVA, whatever it's going to look like heading into season three. Five. Casey. When they mapped out the characters that we were going to see on these branches, characters that we get to know in the TVA, they couldn't have all of them have good backstories. So instead they made Casey Frank Morris, one of three people in our current timeline, our reality, who escaped from Alcatraz. And it's amusing, although to be clear, Frank Morris committed armed robbery, certainly not a positive background for Casey to possess. And this is them once again having some fun with history because in season one we had Loki as D.B. Cooper. Once again, we get a bit of a quantum leap element here where we're revisiting historical time periods and historical characters and seeing them in a different perspective. It's an interesting choice and I would imagine a certain percentage, in this case probably large, of the audience will have no idea that this is an actual historical event, although they might be vaguely aware that people have escaped from Alcatraz. Anyway, uh, looking at who Casey is, it's highly doubtful that he's going to want to go back to his old life. I mean, he's just escaped from Alcatraz and is going to be on the run. Although it's interesting, the thought struck me that once Casey is aware of his branching life, and his life in the TVA, and that what exists outside of the TVA, because if you think back, he's ignorant of a lot of things when he is working at the TVA. He might ultimately see the TVA as a prison and really want to escape. Six. A Casey-based small side note. Now, this focus on Casey as Frank Morris, it begs the question, Frank Morris didn't get caught so him ending up in the TVA is clever in that it explains why Frank Morris was never found. But what about the other two guys? The general belief is that they all drowned in the currents and cold water. But in this story, they made it to shore. Where did they go? What did they do? It's not a big thing. It's not even a little thing, really. But it's just one of those loose threads that we're asked to ignore. And personally, when I'm helping shape stories, I prefer to keep those to a minimum. But then I'm often the guy that people say is too bogged down by logic. And I get it. Sometimes, and maybe most of the time, you should just let a story be fun. I agree. Stories should be fun. I also just want them all to every bit of the pieces to make sense, as many of them as possible. Because the closer you get to reality, things that could plausibly happen, then the more powerful the story can ultimately be. Seven. Okay. Another question based on Casey and this Frank Morris business. Why is Frank Morris someone that the TVA would recruit slash extract from the timeline to work at the TVA? You can make the argument, okay, the person was never found again, and so it's easy to extract them and not call any attention to the fact that they've been extracted. But that doesn't explain why you would also pull out somebody who is a single dad 
who sells jet skis. So I don't know that it's just they're pulling people out at moments when they wouldn't be needed in that timeline. But anyway, what qualities does Casey slash Frank possess? Remember, he's a guy who robs banks while armed. What qualities does Frank have that would carry over into his work as Casey at the TVA? What qualities are they looking for for a paper pusher, middle manager, whatever you want to call Casey? His job at the TVA, what qualifications did he have as Frank Morris to put him in this role? Also, given that the TVA and the whole location, I mean, there's a city outside the windows there. Presumably, that whole place is full of people pulled from various branches of time and that this city needs all of the jobs of life to be filled. Electrician, plumber, manufacturer, middle managers, all the rest of it. Do they pull people out of their lives just so that they can have paper pushers and custodians? And taking a step back, how messed up is that, that we need all of these people to perform all of these jobs in this place outside of time? And so we're going to rip them out of their branches just so they can do menial labor for us here at the TVA. It'd be interesting to explore that in seasons three and four. Like, who are all these people? Every single one of them that is there, and there are a lot of them, came from time branches, and they were pulled from those lives to perform these jobs. How fair is that? And how angry would you be if you got woken up from that reality and realized that all of this is fabricated and that there was something else out there that you were meant to be doing? But no, they needed somebody to fix wiring here in the TVA, and so they grabbed you. Eight. Sylvie. Having her be the catalyst for Loki's understanding and moment of realization and revelation is perfect. No one knows Loki better than Sylvie does. She empathizes with his emotions and can feel that he doesn't want to be alone, that he wants his friends back. She knows him because she is him. And undoubtedly, this moment is in the show Bible. It's the big character arc moment of season two, a pillar around which to build. This is what Loki needs to learn and grow from. Now that's an arc. They nailed it. When they were building out this season, when they started with this notion of what Loki wants and needs, or if they discovered it as they planned it, it became the moment around which the whole season was constructed. Sylvie becomes the therapist, cutting through all the BS to get her patient to articulate what he needs and what the season is all about. And a quick side note, wants versus needs, it's a key element to story building, and I'll do a deeper dive on this at some point, but for now, the quick version is characters have wants and they have needs, and the Rolling Stones had it right. Characters can't always get what they want, but they'll be fighting to get what they need. Loki has a lot of wants, including Sylvie herself. His need, though, is to have a deeper connection with humanity, to love and belong. And often it's a journey for a character to see past their wants, to find out what they really need. And if you get to the end of a story and a character gets a lot of what they want, but they don't get what they need, it's hollow. But you can ignore all the wants you want. But if you get to that need and you fulfill it, that is a story well told. Nine. OB. This is a little thing, but to me, it's a big thing. We're just going to slide by and make light of the fact that OB got divorced and fired so that he could make the temp pad. 
this is just me, but characters become people. And I see things in events and stories, plot points, as if they genuinely happen. We fill in the backstory very quickly, rapid fire. Our brains put the pieces together to bridge from point A to point B. And when we hear OB say that, suddenly you ripple back. A wife got ignored, put through the pain of losing the man that she loved. The marriage fell apart. His colleagues and students got impacted by all of this happening. And none of that feels like a joking matter, you know? It just seems like you're making light of some very, maybe small, but still very human tragedies. And it's played off in a quick comment meant to be funny. And I just walk away from it thinking, how sad that all of these terrible things happened. And I feel bad for OB and all of these people that we don't know in his life that all of these terrible things happened. Sure, it was to save existence, but uh, a lot of people's ex existences ended up being shattered as an end result. 10. Absence of antagonists. I've been beating this drum for a few weeks, and it's, if anything, the biggest inconsistency throughout this whole season. Renslayer, Miss Minutes, X5. When you have your ostensible antagonist off screen for the penultimate episode, they're not antagonistic enough. And you can make the argument ultimately that this is a character drama and Loki is his own antagonist. And it's an interesting thought. It's just hard to have it hold up when you've got a sci-fi story with a lot of action. You want to have the scales be balanced. Like who's on the other side opposite Loki, who is driving the plot? And Renslayer wasn't around at the beginning of the season, spiked over the last couple of episodes. Now she's gone again. Miss Minutes wasn't around. There she was. We get a glimpse of just how sadistic she might be during the box squishing moment. And then she's gone. X5, he had the one episode and we got to see him do some things that make us think, okay, he's a bad guy. But ultimately, none of them are longer-term antagonists. And we've been promised an antagonist coming into this season, multiple versions of that antagonist, and he just hasn't been around. But more on that in just one second. 11. He Who Remains. I go back and forth on this. Ultimately, I think this couldn't have been their plan all along for what they were going to do with He Who Remains. He's just not present in the story. How many minutes, ultimately, even though it's been as Victor Timely, has Majors been on screen? And as a result, we lose a lot of tension. Coming into the season, we were told that what happened at the end of season one was going to bring about a whole lot of He Who Remains, Kangs, whatever you want to call them. We would be meeting multiple versions of those and that they were the real looming threats. But here we are, episode five of season two. In this episode, the bad guy is the entropy of the various branches. We've been missing the big bad. And it's just surprising, particularly in an MCU superhero show. In this universe, you have big good guys and big bad guys. And sure, we don't have a lot of the big good guys around, but we do still have Loki. Perhaps some of this is by design because they're trying to prove that the MCU can be home to different kinds of stories, sort of like how Andor in the Star Wars universe didn't have the Jedi running around with lightsabers. But still, one of the big threats that keeps getting mentioned 
is that there are a ton of Kangs out there, but you wouldn't know it from what we've seen. It's one thing to just show us a corner of the universe where superheroes just aren't a big factor. It's another thing altogether to say, well, there is a super bad guy. You met him last season and he's supposed to be in this season and multiple versions of him should be running around out there now, but we have not seen anything of them. And yeah, part of it, they must have re-edited some stuff because of Major's significant legal troubles. But part of this is also by design. It, it can't be completely that. And it just seems like an odd choice. Again, they're building up this focus on character, but it is so far from expectations created, not just because it's an MCU show, but also because they're the ones who introduced the threat of multiple Kangs and the fact that we're not seeing anything of them and that's paired with other antagonists showing up and disappearing. It just feels inconsistent. Like, where's the pushback supposed to be coming from? The only antagonism right now is coming from very impersonal forces, like the time loom is going to blow up and we don't have the ability to unlock the door. We want to have the face of evil. And we've been told and shown who the face of evil is supposed to be. And yet we're not seeing him. And it just feels off. 12. The spaghetti effect. Now, I like special effects as well as the next guy. And this one in particular is very cool. It's very interesting and it's very thematic in that when they're turned into spaghetti, they're also being turned into threads. And just as time is made of threads being woven together by the time loom. But I'm always struck by when you see something where it's like, oh, hey, we figured out a neat visual that we can replicate in CGI pretty easily and pretty cheaply. Now that we've created the effect once, we can apply it to any visuals we want to. So we can use it as many times as we want to. But there's a weird thing about humans and being recognizers of pattern that it makes things less cool the more we see it. The first time it's like, oh, I'm registering this new thing. And then it's used a second time. It's like, oh, that's a new permutation of it. Interesting, but it gets repetitive. It's unfortunate that this is how our brains work in that there's a very swift move from holy cow to gee whiz to meh. It's not fair, but we just get numb to special effects pretty fast. And they were dipping into this same well over and over again. Very cool, but it's already becoming repetitive, at least for me. That said, you just have to wonder if they needed the effect for vaporizing someone going out to fix the time loom and then decided, oh, hey, look, that's really cool. Can we use that same effect on all of the various branches? Because sometimes special effects can impact the narrative rather than the narrative dictating the special effects. Or maybe they just knew that there was going to be a violent entropy of existence and then used it wherever they needed it. However it played out, Sylvie listening to the Velvet Underground as the world falls apart was very, very cool. It would be interesting to know how that particular scene came together. If they had the elements of that branch dying and the character beat of what would Sylvie be doing in her branched life and what would be compelling to watch and what existed in the time period of her branch. And then to add the music element, which just pulled all of it together. It's a moment that involved a lot of decisions and the plot point could have been conveyed in a lot of different ways. You wonder how many different ways were pitched, but the fact that this is ultimately the scene that we got 
that to me is great writing and direction and production because all of those choices led to something that is incredibly memorable and it's a smaller moment right where it's not a big massive action sequence but when we look back at season two of loki this is one of the moments that we're going to remember 13 writers as gods if there's one facet of writing that drives me nuts, it's the meta-narrative that writers are gods creating a universe. That may be an odd thing for a writer to say, especially one who likes world-building, but to me it's too self-aware. For Loki to say that he's going to rewrite the story to bring about the ending that he wants and needs, he becomes a proxy for the showrunner saying that I get to decide what happens. It's Stephen King at the end of the Dark Tower series. Now, I'm not going to spoil that for you, but let's just say it involves a freaking eraser. Now, this meta-narrative also violates or contradicts this question of fate versus free will that the show has been bringing up. Loki is going to become the agent of fate. He might give everyone a choice of whether to stay in the TVA or not and to return to their branches or not. And that is going to seem and feel like he's giving them free will, but he's still controlling everything. He gets to be the God who grants free will. But the fact that people have to be given free will means they don't really have it. I don't know. Anyway, it just feels like when you do this meta awareness of writers as gods, it's narrative navel gazing for writers to make the solution to problems created by the act of writing to be characters in the story to write their way out of those problems and talk about how they are writing their way out of those problems suddenly an episode becomes a writer's room and loki becomes the showrunner that to me just pulls me out of the story now all that stuff that i talked about last week moments that felt like they were being manipulated we're going to find out that it was loki rewriting events to bring about the new ending that saves the tva in all likelihood with loki being willing to sacrifice himself to fix the time loom instead of letting timely go out there loki is going to bring the fix out to the time loom shooting device thing and he'll endure the temporal energy better than timely because he's a god but his efforts to save all of his friends will likely end with him being spaghettied maybe end up in a branch where he doesn't remember or recognize all of the people he sacrificed for and you pair that with mobius returning to his life and someone has to put the team back together in season three and loki doesn't remember them and mobius doesn't want to be there and you just jump through all the characters and give them all interesting extraction moments now that would be an interesting place to end season two that's it for this week one more of these and then i'll be moving on to monarch the legacy of monsters if you haven't seen the trailer, definitely check it out. The special effects are amazing for a TV show. I just hope that the story will measure up. Talk to you later. Bye.